Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. In the book of Revelation, it says, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive all honor and glory and power and blessing and strength. We've been singing songs, declaring who God is, declaring the greatness of God over our lives, and that is intentional. Because in a world that's filled with chaos, in a world that's filled with disaster, in a world that's filled with conflict, there is one who is sure, there is one who is unchanging, and there's one who can be trusted. Amen? Amen. It is so good to have you here. My name is Jeremy. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at First. And we are so excited and grateful to have you here as we worship the Lord this morning. Thank you, Brian and team, for even pulling out a couple of great hymns that I have not sung in quite some time. Um, We're going to be in Psalm 58 this morning. Um, But while you turn in your Bibles there, I have a couple things I want to begin with. Um, The first one is this. Um, You likely received a bulletin on your way in, or um, you could scan a QR code at the entrance and get your bulletin. Or if you're joining us online, there's a button right above where you're watching where you can download your bulletin for today. There's a lot of helpful information about the fall ministry season coming in there. Please read that. Please let us know if you have any questions. Today, there's going to be a student ministry um, parents meeting at 11 a.m., and I believe that is in the parlor. And I'll just say this too. If you're a parent of 7th through 12th grade students and you want to stay up to date on what's going on with student ministry, um, we send out a weekly email from students at fbczealand.org. So if you are not on that weekly email and you want to be on that email, please let us know. You can contact the office this week or you can send an email to students at fbczealand.org. That's a great way you can... um, can, can connect with that and engage with that. Second thing I wanted to mention was thank you so much to many of you who helped bless um, the family of Ron Strait as we celebrated uh, his life this past week. I encourage you to continue to pray for, for Catherine and for the rest of their family as they, as they go through these next several days of, of life without Ron. But what an amazing time to, to think about a life well lived to the glory of God. Um, The third thing I want to mention is this. Um, School is about to start and or has started for many of you. And here's what I want to do. If you are a student, and this is pre-K through 12th grade, and you're here this morning, would you stand for just a moment? I know I'm asking you to stand. Don't worry, your parents are coming next. Uh, They're going to have to stand. Students, you are standing because you're getting ready to start school. You're about to invest hundreds and hundreds of hours in in academics, in language, in math, in science, in sports, and in music. And all these things are an incredible opportunity God has given you to learn more about the world, but to learn more about him through what you're about to engage in. And we are going to pray for you in just a minute because I know entering school, whether it's homeschool, whether it's public school, whether it's Christian school, wherever you're entering school, it's a big deal. 
And I know that that comes with a little bit of nerves for some of you, excitement for some of you, dread for some of you. But just know this, over the course of the next several months, God is going to use you. Go in expectantly, believing, God, I am here and I'm here to worship you. And maybe you're even trying to figure out these things of faith. We're going to be praying that God would reveal himself to you in an incredible way this school year. All right? That's my encouragement to you. You guys can have a seat for just a minute. All right. <clears throat> Your kids have just stood up. So parents, if you're a parent of pre-K through a high school, would you please stand for just a moment? And that can be homeschool. That can be public school. That can be Christian school. <clears throat> any of those. You parents have been given an incredible opportunity to steward young lives. I would dare say the most important things that happen in your child's life come from your home. How you invest yourselves in instilling in them the word of God, reminding them that their identity does not come from what grade they get, not from what um, score they get on a, on a run or, or on a test or anything like that. Their identity comes because they are a child of God. That starts with us. What a privilege we have to speak life and hope and grace into the lives of our kids. Amen? I'm praying for you because I know as a parent that carries a good deal of weight on your shoulders. You're going to have conversations that are going to be hard. You're going to have the do your homework conversations. You're going to have you can do this. You're going to have I, I, I know this is tough, but persevere. In all that, remind your kids that you love them. And even more so, remind them that God loves them unconditionally, unreservedly. In fact, he loves them so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for them. They don't walk into school, whether that be your living room, whether that be Zealand Christian or Zealand Public or Holland Public or West Ottawa or Granville or anywhere in between. They don't walk into that place alone. They walk with the power and the spirit of God with them. Instill the word of God, instill God's truth and model for them what it means to trust Jesus today. Okay? Please be seated. All right. Teachers. Now, some of you get double duty because some of you are homeschool teachers, or some of you teach at a school. If you're a teacher, or if you're an administrator, or if you work in the office, or if you work on the grounds of a campus, would you please stand for a moment? Teachers. Love it. Okay. God has given each one of you the the ability to speak life into kids, whether it's coming into the office because their stomach is a little upset and they're nervous or they need to go home, or whether they're walking in for that first day and they need to be encouraged. It's okay. We're so glad that you're here. Whether they're stumped on a math problem or they can't find where their next class is going to, God has given you a great opportunity to show them love, to show them grace, and to show them truth. Even if you work in a context where speaking the name of Jesus is a challenge, the way in which you act speaks volumes about the God you serve. You go with great intention, and we're going to pray for you that God would richly bless your ministry and their lives this year. You may be seated, and let me pray for you. God, we pray for these students. We pray for these teachers. We pray for these parents. God, what an incredible 
beginning of school year uh, that has begun for some and that will begin for others. But God, I pray you'd walk with them, that you would remind each one of these people that they are dearly loved by you, God, and that you meet them in their greatest moments of celebration and in their greatest moments where it feels like the world might be crashing in. God, be their strength and their song. God, teach them that you are sufficient for their day and for, uh, for their lives this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, college students, which some of you have already left, uh, or graduate students or postgraduate students, if you are here, I know some schools have already started. Would you stand, please? Any, any of you here? Or they all leave. Okay, we've got a couple. All right, awesome. I know there's one back in the live stream room, too, who's helping us out today. I get to speak to you. It's awesome. I get to speak to Jacob back there as well. As you go, God is training you. And some of you have college-age students. I just started into a whole new class as well. So we're, we're in this together. God is using your education right now to further how you serve him. It's just the next step. Don't pass that opportunity by. Give all you have to learning and to growing. But always remember, your identity is not found in what you do. It's found in whose you are. Stay close to God. Stay in his word. It'll prove very useful for life. I'm going to pray for the college students and graduate students. God, many of us are jumping into college. We're jumping into graduate school. We're jumping into further things and training. And God, we need your wisdom. We don't want to work just to earn a degree because that is a futile attempt. We want to work and we want to earn for your glory. Um, we want to earn degrees for your glory. God, we want to work and to, and to learn so that we can be a blessing to other people so that our lives can further be a way in which the kingdom is established here on earth as it is in heaven. God, go before each one of these students, whether they've already begun or whether they're getting ready to leave in the next couple days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. There's one more thing we're going to pray for, and that's this. It's a little world word, <clears throat> word called Afghanistan. We're going to pray for a country that's very much torn up by a lot of stuff right now. And I don't want to go into all the politics of that, but I want to simply say... Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. There's a lot of people being harmed. There's a lot of people being treated in ways that are subhuman. And that's not right, and that breaks the heart of God. Whatever your politics are, that's secondary to people being made in the image of God, being treated as though they're made in the image of God. And we're going to pray this morning. And I, I was on... Um, uh, there's a radio ministry called Sat7 that serves the, the Middle Eastern and North Africa region. And, and here's what they said uh, recently. Um, they were calling for urgent prayer for Afghanistan, especially for Christians who fear torture and execution. And they're asking fellow believers to be their voice. One Christian girl says, quote, people are terrified. Everyone is afraid. I'm only 16 years old and I cannot take what is happening around me. I am crying out to God right now. Um, the, the president of Sat7 says this, Our brothers and sisters are asking us to be their voice, and we believe in the power of prayer. We need to pray that believers will find a place of safety and that they will be able to follow Jesus without fear of their lives. Please pray for peace and for protection from brutality and oppression. Pray for women in Afghanistan who face the loss of so much that has improved their lives. 
She says, please add your voice to that of our brothers and sisters as we cry out to God for protection and justice. And I know it may seem like on the other side of the world, what can I do? Well, the one thing that we can do, church, is we can pray. We can pray not just for the people of Afghanistan. We can pray for people in Haiti who've experienced an earthquake and a, a tropical storm in the last 10 days or so. We can pray for other countries where a lot of this oppression e- exists. We pray that God gives them strength for the days that they face. Would you join me in prayer? Father and our King, we, we, we think about all these places on earth where there is chaos and where, where injustice runs rampant, where there's natural disaster. And God, we look at all this and we are just reminded how broken this world is and how much it is in need of the hope that comes through Jesus. And God, we pray for, especially this morning, we pray for those Afghan people, people who are caught in the middle of, of all the things going on over there who are faced with persecution and death because of their faith or because of their partnership in, in, in assisting our country. And God, I pray for righteousness to, to reign. God, I pray for evil to be thwarted by your mighty hand. God, I pray for, for people who are perhaps literally running for the hills or running for the border. God, that they would find safety in the midst of such a difficult experience. God, I, pr- I pray for people who, who don't have the hope of the gospel to know that, that even in a world where things are not okay all the time, that there is a hope that transcends this world, a hope that gives us light and, and, and purpose and meaning in this world, but gives us this picture of what it will be for all time when we are once and forever with you. God, I pray for uh, women whose lives are deeply affected by this change. God, may they be honored and respected as the daughters that they are, children made in your image. God, um, would you bring protection, peace, and justice for your name's sake, we pray. And together we say, amen. It's important that we pray for justice. And we're going to look at a psalm this morning that talks about God who is the judge of all the earth. In Hebrew, it's yesh Elohim shoftim ba'aretz. So yesh, there is Elohim, God, a God, a shoftim, who is a judge, ba'aretz, in all the earth. That's what the Hebrew is up there. Or in short, it's el shoftim ba'aretz, the judge of the earth. Now, um, Psalm 58 is not a psalm that is often preached. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever heard it preached because it's, it's a psalm of imprecation, okay? Or an imprecatory psalm. And that's a really big word, and it simply means this. It's a psalm of cursing. <laughs> it, it, it's language that a psalmist uses to explain or to talk to God about the injustice that they see in the world, and we see injustice everywhere. This past week, I went to court, all right? Like court, court, like district court. I didn't go for myself, um, but I went to support a friend. And one of the things that I noticed in this process is judges have uh, amazing authority and responsibility. Um, They command respect, and in the best of cases, they seek to follow the law to uphold justice. However, 
something that we often experience is that justice is rarely fully upheld here on earth. Justice is never perfect, and this is because we are human. We are human. In, in Genesis 18, stay in your Bibles in, in, uh, in Psalm 58, but in Genesis 18, Abraham, and we were talking about him last week, Abraham and God have this conversation, and God comes to Abraham, and he says, um, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah has come to my ears, and I'm going down to see what's there, and he's coming down to judge the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's judging them because of their sin. And the root sin that they have here is pride. And I love the way one um, person describes pride. He says, pride is this. It's having an attitude that says, I want what I want, and I will have it regardless of what God says, or to the cost of someone else, because I am better than they are, and I deserve it. Pride is the fountain of many sins. Sexual perversion, idolatry, greed, theft, murder, all these things. Pride is this, this root because it says, ultimately, I am the most important thing, not God and not people. And in the midst of this conversation, Abraham asks God, Abraham asks God he says, God, will you really destroy the righteous and the wicked together? And, and he makes this statement, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And Abraham understands a very important thing, even way back then. He understands that God is wholly just, that God is wholly righteous, and he actually appeals to God's justice and righteousness. God, will you not do what is right? And, and the answer is, of course, yes, God will do what is right. And it's also that God alone fully knows what is right because he not only looks at our actions, he actually looks at our hearts. And when it comes to justice, both those things matter a whole lot. Abraham understood this about God, that God is perfectly just. Or as the psalmist in Psalm 58 is going to declare, there is a God who judges on earth. Now, <clears throat> another helpful thing for us to define before we read the text is what is justice? All right, what is justice? Because there's a lot of definitions out there about justice. You have terms thrown out like racial injustice or white justice. You have all these ways that justice is being used. And I want to tell you from the frame of the text, a helpful definition that I think is good for us here and for us in our lives. Um, Dr. Tony Evans describes it this way. I like it, so I'm going to use it. Um, justice, he says, it is the equitable and impartial application of the rule of God's moral law in society, all right? Equitable, it's equally applied. Impartial, there's not one who is favored over another. In other words, it's a level playing field where you and I, we are children made in the image of God. We're people made in the image of God. We all have inherent worth before God. We're all invited into this, this life of following God. Not everyone chooses to do that. Not everyone receives the gift of grace God gives. But justice is the equitable and impartial application of the rule of God's moral law in society. There is no clear and right definition of justice, he says, that excludes God. And I think one of the reasons we struggle to define justice today is because we have excluded God from the picture of justice. We've become people in a society where justice becomes subjective to what I think rather to 
rather than to who God is and what God has said. There is no clear and right definition of justice, he says, that excludes God. And if we look at our world, injustice is rampant. And so the question becomes, what do we do or where do we turn when things are not right in the world around us? Or when we suffer at the hands of foes or adversaries? And even more so, is there okay language to express these deep pains of life? How can we talk to God, in other words, about things like abuse? How do we talk to God about threats of harm upon our lives? How do we talk to God about the images and the stories we hear coming from places like Afghanistan, where injustice abounds? One of the most difficult passages to teach are the imprecatory psalms. Because these ask God to bring judgment and condemnation against their foe. They're psalms that are highly poetic in nature, and they give very vivid descriptions for the pain of true injustice. Now, the psalms are, are, are called the prayer book of Israel. All right? It's actually the, the book of Psalms is divided up into five parts in Hebrew, <clears throat> all focusing on something slightly different. Um, but it's divided up into five parts, and this becomes the hymnal, essentially, for Israel. This becomes the prayers that they together as a community sing and that they pray. This, this gives them words to speak to God with whatever they're facing. And so sometimes you have, you know, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. Sometimes you have, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Sometimes you have enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? Because God is good. Sometimes you have taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, they lack nothing. Sometimes you have hallelujah. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him from the heights. Praise him with the symbols. Praise him with resounding symbols. That's really loud worship, by the way. And he says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You have all these different kinds of words that are included in Scripture that give us content to express who we are and what we experience to God. And that includes the words of Psalm 58. And it ends by saying, there is a God who judges in all the earth. Because these are prayers. This, this prayer is a prayer written, it's attributed to David. And, and it's written by a follower of Yahweh. And this becomes a prayer of an individual and a prayer of a community as they cry against injustice. And they're basically saying, when they're asking God to judge, they're saying, God, you will do what is right. You will do what is right. Because God's judgment is a reflection of his holiness. And the psalms of imprecation or the imprecatory psalms or the psalms of cursing are cries of people who have experienced injustice and who ask God to deal righteously with the world. Not according to what um, they think, but according to what God thinks. With all that said, normally I like to get right to the passage, but I feel like we needed some warm-up to get us to the words we're about to read would you read with me, please, in Psalm 58? Do you really speak righteously, you mighty ones? Do you judge people fairly? 
No, you practice injustice in your hearts with your hands. You weigh out violence in the land. The wicked go astray from the womb. Liars err from birth. They have venom like the venom of a snake, like the deaf cobra that stops up its ears, that does not listen to the sound of the charmers who skillfully weave spells. God, knock the teeth out of their mouths. Lord, tear out the young lion's fangs. They will vanish like water that flows by. They will aim their useless arrows like a slug that moves along in slime, like a woman's miscarried child. They will not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether green or burning, he will sweep them away. The righteous one will rejoice when he sees the retribution. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, yes, there is a reward for the righteous. There is a God who judges on earth. Father, we pray for your wisdom and your leading as we study this psalm. We want to use it correctly. We want to lean upon you, God, the perfect judge. You are king. You are ruler over all the earth, and you are holy. And you invite us into this walk with you by your grace. God, we come as people who don't deserve the mercy we have received. And yet, God, we're here. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to set upon your truth. And a passion to share with the people whom we meet this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the first things I want to point out about this psalm is that it's very poetic, if you didn't pick up on that. It's very, very poetic. Um, one of the resources I use uh, with, with some of my uh, stuff, they, they, they describe it this way. It has a chiastic structure. And forgive me, this is going to feel like high school English just for a moment here. You know, when you, look at, you, you know when you look at literature and you have this line, which rhymes with this line, but it doesn't rhyme with this line, but it does this. Hebrew does this all the time, especially in the Psalms. And so you have what is called a chiastic structure. And here's what it looks like. You have part A, which is verse 1, which talks about leaders who do not judge righteously. Then you have part B, which is the wicked have violent hands. Then you have part C. There's this description of the wicked in verses 3 through 5. And then it comes to the center where it says, break their teeth, O God. Okay? You come to the, the, the finishing of it, and it's a reverse. It's a chiasm, where it says, break their teeth, O God. Then it goes, curses on the wicked. They're like a snail. And then it says, the righteous wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. And then finally, God will judge. So you have here at the beginning, leaders who do not judge. It goes all the way to the center, which says, break their teeth. And then you come back, and it says, God will judge. It, it, it's, it's a literary device to help explain and describe something that these, these people are feeling. The psalmist begins by addressing, do you really speak righteously, you mighty ones? I also say this too. Um, most uh, scholars who look at this psalm say, there's some really difficult things to translate in this psalm. You know, you come to like cobras and um, venom and charmers, and you're trying to figure out what's going on here. And so there's a couple different ways that you'll find this translated. If you're, I, I, I use the HCSB Bible. Um, if you're using a CSB, an NIV, an NET, an NLT, there's lots of different translations. You might have something different, and that's just because translators go, we think this is the best way to describe what the psalmist is saying. 
Translation is very much an art as well as an incredible task. But the psalmist begins by addressing mighty ones. And he's doing a, a rhetorical question here. The, these people whom he's referring to are human authorities who are used to govern. And he's saying, do you really speak righteously, you mighty ones? Do you really judge people fairly? And the implication is no. The, the implication is absolutely not. Um, because they're acting unrighteously. We find that in verse 2. He says, no, you practice injustice in your hearts. With your hands, you weigh out violence in the land. So it's not just even something that they do. It's something that comes to the very core of who they are. Because as the scripture says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I would, and I would add, from the overflow of the heart, we live our lives. In other words, what's going on down in here often inevitably comes out here. So if we engage in, in um, things that are ungodly, there's something not just with our behavior that's wrong, there's something deeply um, concerning about our hearts that needs to be addressed by God. And he says here, he says, you're not acting righteously. You're not acting fairly with people. Your hearts, man, you practice injustice in your hearts and with your hands you weigh out violence. <coughs> I, re I remind you... Um, Tony Evans describes justice as the equitable and impartial application of the rule of God's moral law in society. So you remove God from the question of what is right and what is just because God alone is holy. If you remove him from that, pretty soon you have a, a wild west of what is right and what is true. Righteousness is something that is owed to all people regardless of their social status, regardless of their race or their financial ability or their background or anything. Why? Because they are people who are made in the image of God. Righteousness, dealing with righteousness, is defined by God himself. Consider these words from the Psalms. Psalm 97 declares God as king, and it says this, the heavens proclaim his righteousness. All the peoples see his glory. Psalm 119 verse 7 describes God's teaching or his instruction or, or what God wants us to live out of. His word as being righteous because it comes from God who is in his very being holy. So, so you have the, you have the um, rhetorical question in verse 1 and then you have the clarification of this in verse 2 <clears throat> where, no, the wicked have violent hands. Then he goes to describe the wicked. And he says, um, the wicked go astray from the room, liars err from birth. And what he's talking about here is, is not just that, um, simply put, what he's saying, uh, according to the Moody Bible Commentary, who summarizes this well, he says, um, this is a poetic passage, which does not mean that weak old infants sin. The idea is that because of human depravity, from early on, people do that which is wicked. All right? So when he says um, liars err from birth, he's saying all of us have been born into a world that is tainted and marred with a rebellion towards God. And the effect of that rebellion is that we rebel against God. And you can look at young children who quickly, even at young ages, fight over what they want instead of what's right for someone else or who defy this in order to gain that. You can look at it and say, yeah, this happens at a very, very young age. So verse 2 goes into verse 3. And, and the poetry 
keeps going here. And David's recognizing something about humanity in verse 3 that he himself experienced. In fact, just a couple chapters earlier in Psalm 51, David himself is praying to God and he's saying, God, I have sinned against you. God, I have sinned from the, very, from the very center of everything I have done because he's just done something wicked. And he says this in verse 5, verse 4, against you, you alone I have sinned, and I've done this evil in your sight. And he says to God, so you are right when you pass sentence. You're blameless when you judge. He says, indeed, I was guilty. When I was born, I was, I was sinful when my mother conceived me, which simply is a way of him saying, yeah, from, from birth, I have been marked by depravity. I've been marked with a rebellion against God, which every one of us has. He goes from there, <clears throat> and he starts talking using the snake metaphor and the snake charmer's metaphor. And, and he's suggesting that the wicked are venomous, okay? That they don't pay attention or listen to the charmers, and instead they cause pain and suffering as a result of their actions. And he comes uh, into then uh, verse 6, and here's where it gets really focused. Uh, he says, God break their teeth. I don't know what your translation says. Mine says, God knock the teeth out of their mouths. Some translations say, God break their teeth. How many times have you ever prayed in your prayers to God, God, would you break their teeth? Is it okay to say this? Like, how many of us go home and pray prayers like that? And you're like, you're kneeling with your kids uh, in an evening. You're like, okay, now I want you to pray. Repeat this prayer after me. God, break their teeth. <laughs> All right. This is a prayer of the people of Israel. This is a prayer that has been recorded for us in Scripture and handed down generation after generation after generation. Why on earth would the psalmist be praying, God, break their teeth? And it's recorded as a part of Scripture. Not only Scripture, a part of expressions of prayer to God. The psalmist implores God by praying this to act in such a way that those who do wicked are forcefully bent away from it. I think that's what's going on. There are some trials in life that are so great that words often fail to describe the righteous anger and indignation amidst injustice. Now, the other thing it's important to note as he says, break their teeth, oh God. What, what's understood here is, God, you break their teeth. He says it different, slightly, in the next phrase, in verse 6. He says, Lord, tear out the young lion's fangs. He's appealing to a righteous and holy God to act justly with people who are engaging in injustice. All right? That's what's going on here. This is not the psalmist breaking the teeth. It's the psalmist going to God and imploring God, God, would you act righteously right now? Because I can clearly see there is wickedness abounding. Now, the next couple verses, in verses 7 through 9, these are descriptions that are an outpouring of a person who is in anguish. A person who is in anguish because of injustice. And he uses these metaphors. They will vanish like water. They will aim their useless arrows. All these things, they will essentially decay because God will deal with them. And he's pronouncing these curses upon the wicked. 
But then he comes to verse, <coughs> verse uh, 10 there, and he's talking about how the righteous wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. You're going, what on earth? Like, that's just a very, very crazy, bloody metaphor in the very literal sense. In verse 10, the righteous rejoice when they see retribution or vengeance. Right? Hear that. The righteous rejoice when they see retribution and vengeance. A definition is helpful here. Um, vengeance is something that has a certain connotation in the modern understanding, which is different than in the biblical understanding. Vengeance is an important biblical idea that in the modern understanding, there's, there's negative ideas of arbitrariness or cruelty. Like, oh, I'm going to go get my vengeance. It, well, the vengeance may not be um, lawful. The vengeance may not be um, proportionate. And it's often thought in modern day to be opposite of love. Like love and vengeance can't exist in the same vacuum. The Old Testament concept of vengeance, however, is has a positive connotation. And, and here's what vengeance in the Old Testament means. It has the idea of lawfulness or justice and even salvation. All right, salvation, being rescued and redeemed from a state in which you are in that is really bad. Vengeance is an overflow or is, an, is a consequence of God's holiness. It's also a consequence of God being faithful to his covenant faithful to the promises that he has made for the glory of his name. One writer writes this. He says, in history, God reveals his bilateral acting up to his covenant. In other words, he's both forgiving and he is revengeful God. In Psalm 99 verse 8, he goes on to say, forgiveness and vengeance, lawfulness and grace, love and wrath are not contradictions within Yahweh. I know that's a hard one to hear sometimes because from this side of the world, from this side of humanity, it's really easy to have in my mind what I think is right. But I have to remember God's ways are not my ways. God's character is not my character. Who God is is very different than who I am. And we sang it this morning, you are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me. Now, the amazing thing about the gospel is that God comes to us and he says, yeah, you're lost, but that's why I'm here. God, in his mercy, even though we, and by we, I mean every person listening to my voice, even though we have all deserved God's wrath, even though we have all sinned, the scripture says, and we've fallen short of the glory of God, we have been offered a new life in Jesus. Not because we deserve it, but because God is merciful. Can you say amen? You and I, we have a relationship with God, not because of anything we have done, because I could not make myself righteous before God. There's no way with all the anger I've exhibited in my life, the ways in which I have led people down wrong paths, the, the, the ways in which I've sought to misrepresent myself and pursue my own end instead of God's, there's no way I could stand before a holy God in my own righteousness and in my own merit because I have none before God. It's only in the righteousness of Christ that any one of us can stand before a holy God. That's because of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love 
that he offers us this seeming contradiction. How does love and justice, how does lawfulness and grace, how does forgiveness and vengeance coexist? With God they do. Bless the Lord. The call for God's vengeance in the Psalms, in in these imprecatory Psalms, and in other places like in in the book of Jeremiah, where he, he has a lot of these same phrases, is to be seen in this light. One writer writes, These passages imply in a situation of uttermost threat, an abandonment of private revenge and total surrender to God who judges righteously. In in other words, imprecatory psalms are not just, God, I want you to knock their teeth out. They're a surrender or they are a yielding of the desire of my heart to a holy and righteous God. God, I don't know how you're going to do it in this situation, but God, would you deal righteously in this situation for your namesake? When we pray these prayers, they give voice to the thoughts of revenge, the thoughts of unforgiveness, and they surrender to God, the one who judges righteously, the power to judge truly righteously. The writer goes on to say, in no instance is the satisfaction of feelings of hatred of embittered people at stake. The prayer for vengeance is the prayer for victory of lawfulness and this revelation of God of the covenant who while judging keeps his word. He says, the imprecation in its deepest intention is a cry for the breakthrough of God's kingdom in liberation and in biblical vengeance. And without God's biblical vengeance, there is no justice and no future. These are words that God has given to people to speak to him and to trust him with things that are not right in this world. Notice, verse 11 says, Then people will say, yes, there is a reward for the righteous. There is a God who judges the earth. Notice again, the people experiencing injustice do not take vindication upon their own shoulders. Presumably, they have gone to every human ruler possible to seek righteous judgment. They've gone to courts. They've gone to officers. But sometimes in this world, justice is not perfect. Being left with no one else to turn to, they turn to God who one day will forever judge righteously. One scholar remarks that that these psalms, they affirm God by surrendering the last word to God. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you just wanted to fix it? You just wanted to take that matter into your own hands. You see what's going on with this or with that. And you're like, God, that's not just. God, that, that leaves your moral law. That, that, that profanes the name and the character of God. Not only that, it harms people made in your image. But you find yourself a little powerless. Because you've sought every person you can up that food chain. And in the world we live in, that seeking and that searching has gone with no results. It's in this situation especially that we turn to God. That we give to God not only our lament, our sorrow, our hurt, and our pain, 
about our situation, but we also give the right to judge the originators of that situation. In fact, it, it, I believe the scripture goes, it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of God because God will judge rightly. And if you're apart from God, in other words, if you don't have a relationship by faith and trusting in the work of Jesus, the judgment, the judgment is strong and severe because every one of us without Christ has no one to yield to for our righteousness, has no thing to yield to for our righteous standing before God. But the person of God, the, the, the psalmist says, there's a reward for the righteous. The person who is righteous, the one who trusts God, the one who is God's child by faith, they leave everything in God's hands, even the feelings of hatred and aggression. It's really easy to act out of our anger, to act out of our flesh, instead of acting out of the righteousness of God. Some people here, some of you are in positions where you are placed to judge righteously, right? This goes for officers and and police officers who, who are put in crazy situations and being forced to figure out what's true here and how do I deal righteously in accordance with the laws. There's judges and there's attorneys. There's parents who have to take two kids and say, what really happened in this, in this case? There's school administrators who have to understand what happened here. And the call for all people is always to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. But in this world, it's never going to be perfect. For the people who have that awesome, and I mean that in the sense of its word, for those of you who have that awesome responsibility of being put into those situations, know this, God is with you. You don't walk alone. You don't walk alone. Seek the one who judges rightly and righteously, and that will be of great benefit to you in seeking to judge righteously in the authority God has given you. For, for those of you who have experienced injustice of a whole variety in this world, my encouragement to you is this. Let us not take up this mantle and make it our quest to do vengeance on behalf of God. There are many things in which we say, God, here's what I want. But God, I leave it to the hands of the one who judges righteously. Because history is filled with stories about how God deals righteously. You even read through the scriptures. My wife and I were reading through Jeremiah recently. And you've got this whole um, part where God's coming to his people Israel. And he said, you guys are not acting righteously. And because of that, I'm going to judge you and send you into exile. I'm going to bring the Babylonians to, to come, and the Assyrians to come, the Assyrians and then Babylonians to come, to deal righteously with you. I know they're not righteous people, but that's how we're going to do this. There's one day, though, when God, who is judge over all the earth, will rule and reign in perfect righteousness. And all people who've experienced the hand of oppression, who experienced the hand of favoritism, who've experienced the hand of partiality, will say, yes, God, you have vindicated my circumstance. Likewise, 
there are some of us here who need to say, God, I've been carrying this burden. And I've been carrying this weight. And maybe your prayer today needs to be, God, would you break their teeth? <laughs> Go teach that to your kids tonight. God, we're, we're going to ask you to break their teeth. But remember, when you're praying that, one of the challenges with the imprecatory psalms is it becomes how do we reconcile Jesus' teaching to love your neighbor as yourself with a prayer like this? And it goes back to God's holiness and God's righteousness. When God is the one who judges, we can be sure that we are trusting the one who judges righteously. As Abraham said, Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? As we bring this to a close, I want to just highlight a couple things. Number one, remember that none of us are righteous in and of our own doing. We are only ever righteous in God's sight when we come to God out of our brokenness and out of our need, knowing that there's nothing we can do to bridge this gap between us and a holy God which is why Jesus came to bridge that gap for us. If you're not a believer, a follower of Jesus today, God invites you to trust him. God invites you to turn your pride and your rebellion and your sin against him over to him and say, God, I have I've sinned against you. God, would you forgive me? And we have this great promise in Scripture. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has established, another thing I want to remind you of is God has established civil avenues for justice. Pursue these when and wherever possible. God has established them. Doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect because sometimes they will fail. When they fail, just be reminded, in the path you walk, God is righteous and God will deal with all injustice in his perfect, holy way. You might need to be reminded this morning, whatever you face, God has given you words to speak when you need a righteous judge. And they go like this, God, break the teeth from their mouths. God, tear out the, the, the fangs of the lion. It's okay to pray prayers like that because you're going to a God who understands where you're at and meets you there. And in praying so, you're giving over the desire you and I have to fix things to a God who will fix things. Some of you need to prayer, pray a prayer of imprecation today, which means you need to pray and you need to leave to God the righteous actions that follow. Some of you, as I said, are in positions of power, and I want to pray for you that God gives you wisdom to deal righteously in those things. Uh, I want to share a couple of prayers as we close from this book I mentioned to you last week, Praying Through the Names of God by Dr. Tony Evans. So would you join me in prayer? Our Father, Elohim, Shoftim Ba'aretz, the Lord who judges all the earth. When justice is done, the righteous rejoice. Those who have sought to obey you are filled with delight, and your justice, God, is like the spring rain. It brings blessing and life to those it touches. God, let justice roll down like the waters. 
like the ever-flowing stream. Yet while your justice brings happiness to the righteous, terror engulfs the evildoers. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God, Father. Yet for the righteous, you wait to be gracious, and you exalt yourself to show mercy. You are a God of justice who judges the earth. Blessed are all those who wait for you. God, you judge both the righteous and the wicked. You love justice and have promised not to forsake your saints. And God, we confess this morning that we do not always fall into the category of the righteous by the way of our actions. We have often done things, God, to offend you. Things for which we are not proud. God, have mercy on us as we wait patiently and expectantly for your mercy. God, who judges the earth, thank you for using just scales and rewarding those who diligently seek you. God, as we witness the chaos and the turmoil of our world today, we see terrorist attacks, we see random acts of violence, we see a whole host of injustice, and God, we know that you sit as the God who judges the earth. There's a time coming, God, where there will be an accounting for those who bring evil on the lives of the innocent. God, we are grateful that you are ultimately in control in a world that seems very much out of control sometimes. And finally, God who judges the earth. So much happens in the world today, both righteous and evil. <clears throat> God, we ask you to rain down your blessing on the many who are seeking to bring about healing to the suffering on earth. God, this, this includes people who serve as law enforcement officers and personnel and, and military personnel. God, people who serve as judges, people who serve within uh, the various justice system areas. God, would you bring them to yourself to bring about the healing of the suffering of the innocent? God, would you reward their righteousness with your favor? God, would you also intervene against the evil in the land, both this land and lands abroad in this world that would cause disruption and disunity? As you've done in the past in wars and in battles, God, would you confuse the enemy? God, would you bring peace and goodness on every front and strengthen those who pursue life and freedom, and liberty, who pursue caring for people made in the image of God. We trust these things to you, God. You are holy, you are righteous, you are good. Help us to walk with you this week, God, and whatever we see, whatever we face, God, may prayer be the first thing we go to, especially in moments in which we feel powerless to do anything. God, may we not be complacent with the brokenness around us. May it drive us to our knees. You are a good and faithful God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for jumping into a very challenging psalm with me today. I remind you, in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to have a parents' uh, meeting, and that will be over in the parlor, Tom, right? I think it's parlor. Parlor for that. Uh, parents in, in meeting, talking about student ministry and all that good stuff. Uh, would you stand with me as we close? <coughs>
May the God of justice give you a holy desire, H-O-L-Y, and H-W-H-O-L-L-Y, a holy desire, that with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, you would love the Lord your God, and you would love your neighbor as yourself. As you walk out into a world filled with injustice, may God give you words and opportunities, my friends, to speak the name of Jesus, the righteous king who judges. And in doing so, bring hope to a world that is in deep, deep chaos. For the glory of God and for the furthering of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. God is with you as you go. Go in God's grace. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.